Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm always fascinated to get the opportunity to learn a little bit more about education advocacy uh, and what that looks like, both at a state level and thinking about that at the national level. And I know our ESUs are active in both spaces. And so really grateful today to have uh, Dr. Dan Schnoes, who is at ESU3, uh, and Dr. Larry Ann Polk at ESU7. They're the administrators at those respective ESUs, and they had the opportunity during the first week of October, and so we're revisiting this as the semester comes to a close. They had the opportunity in uh, that first week of October to travel to Washington, D.C. to speak with some of our congressmen and women to talk a little bit about what's going on at the federal level, to be, do some advocacy, to do some learning, uh, to connect with others uh, from across the country in those conversations. And so I'm really excited that over the course of today's episode, we're going to be able to share some of those discussions, uh, those themes that came out of that, uh, and also sort of look at what that means for us here in Nebraska. And so uh, to start things off, Dan, Larry Ann, welcome to the podcast and uh, excited to hear more about your visit. Thanks a lot. This will be a good time. Glad to be here, Andrew. Yeah. And so I guess to begin with, maybe set the stage for us. Speak to where this is in the rhythms of the year uh, for you all uh, to be able to find this opportunity to go and visit with members of Congress and what sort of drives the talking points, we'll say, that that you bring to that dialogue. Okay. Good question, Andrew. Um, I'll kick this off, Larry Ann. You jump in where you need to. But over the past, I'm going to say five or six years, the ESUs in Nebraska have become more involved in meeting with our members of Congress out in Washington, uh, sharing our story. We're also very involved with the AESA, which actually brings us all together as a collection of service units across the country. And how their system works is in January. So back in January of 2023, each state of the 45 states that have service units uh, was able to get together on a virtual call, and they spent a day and a half to two days just discussing all the issues that were being presented to them from the national level. And so through many conversations, discussions, it came down that each state was allowed to have a vote of what they thought the top five or six priorities were going to be. So we all had a voice. We all participated. And then when we get together, which this meeting happened in January, then there's a lot of homework to put information together, work with national lobbyists, get all those collections, put talking points together. And then in the fall every year, either late September, early October, they have a call to action conference uh, sponsored by AESA. And over the last couple of years, we've had three, four or five ESU administrators representing Nebraska and traveling out to uh, not only learn more about all the things going on at the national level, but to meet with our members of Congress. And this is our opportunity then to bring these uh, specific talking points of the national level uh, to our members of Congress. So I think what you'll hear when we get a little more into the topics that we brought to the national level if you consider the timing of the meeting that Dan was just speaking to, January of 2023, right at the beginning of a legislative session here in Nebraska and in other states as well, some of those things that were high priority for us in Nebraska then made it to that list of uh, talking points that we'll be speaking to. And you'll see then how they really do support and lend, uh, lend some help and partnership to one another from the federal and the state level and back and forth a little bit. So we really find 
that that meeting in October is is incredibly helpful for us in our voice, not only federally, but it comes back to the state. This is the, I think, the fifth time I've been to Washington for this kind of trip, specifically focusing on advocating for educational service units. And each year, the, the staff and the senators learn a little bit more about what it is that we do, who we are, why we're there. And I would say, you know, what do you think too, Dan? I would say this year, they remembered who we were. When we asked, you know, do we need to give you a lot of details about the ESUs? They could tell us some things about us that we have shared with them before. So it really felt like we're finally getting somewhere, right? Now we're getting past all that foundation stuff. You've got to lay first to build relationships. Now they know who we are and they're starting to reach out. So it was, I think, one of the better visits this year. Yeah, I think it was some of the aides. It was kind of fun to to be able to call them by first names and remember, and they could call us by first names and they remembered that we were there, you know, last time. And and I think that also opens up the door to having further conversations and further information uh, sent back and forth between their offices once you have that personal connection. Uh, and maybe to state the obvious, and I, I'm going to frame this as a question because I, I don't want to assume anything, but you know, as Larry Ann noted there, obviously you're going in representation of our ESU network uh, and the role that we serve in the educational system here in Nebraska uh, and, and all the great work and supports. Uh, in addition to that, each ESU administrator gets to meet with superintendents on a regular basis that may not have the resources, time to be able to go and uh, advocate on behalf of their local context and, and their district. And so I am I right in saying that? I guess I, I'd be remiss not to bring up that certainly where they're advocating for ESUs, but but for education in our state broadly. Absolutely. I think, you know, that's the that's the, one of the things that the ESUs, we don't have schools. An ESU does not have students that attend our ESU 7 district. We represent all of the districts in our area that we're providing support to. So because we're able to make this trip, we definitely can talk about the priorities that our schools have as well. And I just to chime in with uh, Larry Ann too. I think some of our best examples of the work that we do is with our school districts because that's what we do. And so if we can share uh, school districts in the area that the congressmen or women represent, it brings that kind of home to them that, uh, you know, we're all working together on education in Nebraska. Well, thanks for, yeah, kind of the affirmation and maybe the opportunity to kind of ground uh, a little bit of all that you all bring to the table uh, when you take on those responsibilities and, and are active in those conversations. Uh, you mentioned that there were certain themes uh, and really six that we had kind of talked about getting the opportunity to point to and go into detail on a few of those over the course of today's conversation. And so uh, what were those that came up last January and what were some of the things that uh, you had the chance to visit about? So we'll kind of press into those in detail. All right, we're just going to kind of go down our list a bit. We're going to start with an overview of where we've been. So the American Rescue Plan was an opportunity for our school districts to receive funding as a result of the pandemic crisis that we had. Federal government provided a lot of aid for recovering some education, uh, trying to get back to some normal school schedules. And that was provided through what was called ARP funding. So that funding will be expiring at the end of this school year, 24, with some of it uh, bleeding into maybe the first part of the fall of 24, 25, but there won't be any more of that. 
So that was where some of the conversations started was, how are districts using those dollars? Do you see some benefit in how those dollars have supported kids? And then what are those benefits? So we discussed that with each one of our representatives. And we also pressed to them that, yes, you know, the districts have been able to update curriculum. Uh, they've been able to improve some safety in their schools in terms of maybe some of the air quality safety. However, ESUs in Nebraska and other ESUs across the country did not have access to those dollars. And that came as a surprise to many of our representatives when we spoke to them. ESUs are not defined the same as a school district. School districts are local education agencies, LEAs. ESUs are not. We are not consistently across the country considered an LEA. So when money comes from the federal government that's specifically designed for school districts and LEAs, it just automatically removes us from the conversation. So we did talk to them about how to be mindful, please, when you're looking at providing federal money to especially some of the more rural areas that really need the ESUs to be able to roll some of that work out, to be cautious of the words they use in their policy, words matter, so make sure that they put in there that it, it could be regional service agencies, educational service agencies, uh, a variety of different ways that it could be mentioned that would incorporate all of us if we're called something different in every state. And just I, something to add too, um, one of the things to follow up what Larry Ann said is a number of our school districts took good advantage of those dollars and try to spend them very wisely. But in order to put new programs and new curriculum in, uh, it took a lot of work in in one deciding what curriculum to purchase and then to implement it. And you can't you don't just buy textbooks and throw them in the classroom and say, here they are. Let's go. So a lot of the follow up work now and the sustainability work has fallen on the shoulders of the ESUs in Nebraska to keep all that work going. And again, our plates were already full uh, before it started. And so now we're trying to navigate that with our school districts to continue that. And so that was part of the message we wanted to share that, you know, all these good programs and everything you, you jump started for about three years, we can't just let it go away. And I guess we should, we should probably mention that we were fortunate that all of these topics that we're going to talk to you about today, we were able to bring in front of each of the five members of Congress that represent Nebraska. So we, we were able to talk in person to Senator Ricketts and in person to uh, Congressman Smith. And then we spoke to the aides, the office staff for all of the other three, Senator Fisher, Congressman Bacon, and Congressman Floods. And I will tell you that talking to the aides in those offices is not uh, talking to the B team. They are so informed about what their uh, senator or congressman is responsible for. They ask incredible questions. They are engaged in feedback. They're taking our information. They reach out afterwards. So I don't feel any lesser when I don't have the senator or the congressman in front of me when we're up there uh, than if we were to have their, their aides there. But in addition, it was wonderful to see Senator Ricketts. When he was governor here, his plate was really full and we didn't have a lot of opportunities to speak in front of him as uh, ESU administrators. So to have him give us almost 30 minutes of his time, that was a really great thing for us to experience in DC. And he asked, I thought great questions too. It was just a really great visit with all of them this year. 
And just to add too with Larry Ann, I, I would totally agree with everything she said. In Nebraska, we have five <laughs> members of Congress. And so I would say over the last two to three years, we've been able to personally meet with each member of Congress if it's not every year, every other year, or every third year that we've made that connection. The other thing we enjoy going to and we missed this year was a Nebraska breakfast that they host where all five members of Congress are there and it's a good chance to to meet and greet them. And we're looking forward to maybe connecting with them next year on that. Well, excellent. And I know too, that in addition to the American Rescue Plan, which we mentioned a moment ago, that student data privacy was also another one of the uh, talking points and that that leads to a much broader conversation uh, about things like cybersecurity and connectivity. And so uh, maybe to capture a little bit of what the dialogue was around those respective topics. Okay, thanks, Andrew. Um, Actually, I'm going to do these two together because connectivity and student data and privacy were two separate topics, but I think we can cover those together. And uh, for those of you that know Nebraska, you're going to know that we have highly rural areas in Nebraska. So being able to be connected is extremely important. We know during the pandemic, we did a lot of remote learning. And we also added a lot of one-to-one devices to a lot of school districts. And, you know, the funny thing about it, without connectivity, those devices don't work all that great when they're out in remote areas. Um, And so some of the things that we really talked about uh, was the importance of keeping the E-rate program alive and well. Our Nebraska schools use that very highly. They use their money wisely. A number of our ESUs work through consortiums to help our districts get the best uh, bang for their buck when they're looking at all the things that they can do. But really with the connectivity is keeping things in place so that kids can stay connected all across the state of Nebraska. Now, the second part of that with that being connected is to make sure that we go through the privacy laws and guidelines and policies. And that is getting more and more challenging every day. All of us have network operators that are, are looking at our technology systems Um, all of our schools now that have technology running. And it doesn't take much for stuff to get shared out there on the internet if we're not watching very closely to what's going on. And so we want to make sure that, one, we're collecting good data, two, that we're using that to drive our curriculum instruction, but three is we want to make sure that we're protecting that information so, you know, the bad actors out there in the world can't get a hold of it because we know there's enough of them around there to turn that are trying to access that and so some of the things that were you know we stress this uh, with our representatives in congress interesting i would say we've been talking about this topic for probably last two three four maybe five years huh. um, and on the federal level it was probably not seen as that important of a topic and they would say you know this is more of a state issue please you know keep working with your state legislature very nice about it uh, we continued to reinforce that it you know, was something on a national level. But this year had a different feel. This year, they were much more interested in hearing about school districts that are getting hit with ransomware, you know, malware attacks and all the different things. And, and I think because it doesn't just happen in schools, it happens in businesses and happens in the national government. I mean, they're under attack all the time. And so I think that bridge is maybe being made now that there's some some work that needs to be done on the federal level to help support the work we're doing. And if you take it from the real big picture, um, you know, we hear about terrorists that are starting to look at, you know, electric grids across the country and all those other places that they're trying to hit. So 
they're trying to tighten up that security. Well, it's not going to be a shock to anybody who listens to this that school districts across the country are easy targets because we're the friendly people. We want to invite people in. We want parents to see what's going on. You know, we want to have kids to be able to be in touch with the world. At the same time, we need to put up those safeguards in place. So again, the bad actors don't get a hold of any student data and make sure their privacy is all good. Parents are counting on us to do that. And they're counting on us to do that every day. And so we we really have to take a, an active stance with that. And that is one of the focus. Um, we have applied for some federal dollars to help expand the work that ESUs do in the state of Nebraska, uh, looking at hiring some cybersecurity specialists and getting people in place because it takes knowledge, it takes planning, it takes policies, it takes it takes everybody to be able to make safe environments for kids. And data privacy is one of those. And this was one of those areas that we then connected back to Words Matter and how the federal government releases grants to the states. And if if they would like to have ESUs and service agencies help support school districts and states in this work, then it matters how the applications for those grants are written and the guidelines as to who can apply. So it gave us a nice way to uh, give them a real specific example about how that matters. Now, ESUs in Nebraska, I think we surprised them a bit as to the level of support that we give our school districts in cybersecurity, how we're doing air gap backups, how we're providing software for some training, whether it's no before, proof point, how we're rolling that out, how our directors of technology are supporting our school district's technology folks to make sure that they're able to get as much security as they can so that their insurance coverage for cybersecurity attacks are can be at its highest level. All of that stuff doesn't really feel like, unless you talk about it, doesn't really feel like stuff an ESU would be doing for school districts. So we shared a lot of that and there was a lot of the conversation around the surprises as to what we're doing. I do want to uh, mention one thing about E-Rate before we go on, but do you have anything more about cybersecurity, Dan, before I circle back to E-Rate? Well, the one thing I would, would add is, you know, five or six years ago when we talked about disaster recovery, it was because schools got hit by a tornado or a flood or something wiped them out or they lost connections. And, and now when we talk about disaster recovery, it means that people got into their system and uh, trying to hold them ransomware. So disaster recovery has really expanded a lot. And we do backups for uh, more than half of our 18 districts right in our building here so that if something severe happens that, uh, you know, we can be there for them and spin things up. And I know most of our ESUs do that. My my last thought on E-Rate really quick. Um... We, when we talk about how our visits are making a difference, I'd like to think that our conversations around E-Rate had some to play with that. E-Rate is actually a Federal Communications Commission responsibility, which really doesn't fall under the senators, but all the senators have a voice to the, the FCC. You know, they can talk to the representatives of the FCC and give their opinions and thoughts. And we were there the first week in October, and I think it was the 17th or 18th of October, the FCC had a vote and they, each one of the representatives asked us about this. How do you feel about having an E-rate eligible device being the Wi-Fi devices in a school bus? So we all talked about how that would benefit us in Nebraska, regardless if you're in a rural area or not. 
if the school bus is parked somewhere where there is no access to the internet, those students would have access to the Wi-Fi in the school bus. So we, all of us said, yeah, that sounds incredible. Please do that. And on October 17th, 18th, the FCC voted to allow that as an eligible expense. So our visits matter. And I think that's just one little thing that shows how we're, we're making an impact there too. I appreciate, uh, yeah, seeing that come to fruition and getting a chance to uh, hear about that as an example. Uh, and thank you both, because a question I had at one point was to say, yeah, it would be important to highlight the role that ESUs play in this conversation. Uh, and so certainly got some great examples there. If folks would want more on that, uh, I know uh, Bill Pulte has been on to talk about cybersecurity a number of times, uh, Andy Bell as well. And so I encourage folks to go check out those past episodes if they'd like a conversation more specific to those efforts. Uh, but we got two more that we're actually going to move to here for some of the themes or conversation talking points uh, from your October visit. And so uh, what's up next? Special education near and dear to my heart. Uh, special education and funding for special education is an ongoing conversation that we not only have at the federal level, but at the state level. So when Dan talked at the very beginning of our conversation today about how the talking points come out in January, and then we go to the federal advocacy meeting in October, well, in, fe in January, those of you who are from Nebraska, you will recall the conversations as to uh, special ed funding at 80% in Nebraska, all of that was just ramping up when these uh, initial conversations started for a federal advocacy. Well, those conversations continued in Washington in October. So the federal government has promised full funding for special education since the inception of the IDEA, Individuals with Education Act in 1975. So they have promised full funding but have not gotten there. So just like anything else, if you fully fund special education, you have to take it from somewhere else. It's not just a, hey, yeah, no problem, we'll give it to you. So there's a lot of conversations that happen around, okay, if we increase more to special education, where is it going to come from? So I'm, I guess, satisfied and happy that when we're there talking about it, they tell us the work that they've been doing to try to get there. And there every year is a conversation about how to get there. So it's it's not as if, oh, yeah, yeah, you told us last year, I'll write it down, something we can try again next year. Didn't matter if it's on the Senate side or the Congress side, both sides of the government house are talking about how to try to get more finances to the states to help support some of our most vulnerable students. So we haven't gotten there yet at the federal side, but on the state side we have. So at, at the state side, we got to 80% special ed funding reimbursement, which is nearly double what it was a year ago. So incredible work in Nebraska. You know, the only thing I have to add is sometimes uh, as they're having these conversations on the Hill, some of our members of Congress state that when you open this up for discussion, you suddenly have about 535 different opinions on what should be <laughs> changed. And so bringing everybody together to come up with one plan, I think, is the challenge. And do they want to open up that can of worms? Because it does, to them, looks like a big can of worms that could go many directions. But we, we will continue to press this and to continue to have these conversations and hope that they can find some middle ground at some point in time and move this forward. 
title funding was wrapped in that conversation too, although their title is not special education, it is uh, calculated based off of a, a poverty formula. So it is also some really vulnerable families and students that are getting support from uh, the services that are allocated because of these dollars. So Title One and Two are often discussed as to, it's, it's not a huge amount of money from the federal government, so it often raises to the top as an easy line to draw through. Hey, we're going to make a quick win here. We're just going to cut title services. But we have been, I, title services have been reduced, but they're not eliminated. So we wanted to emphasize that we weren't there this year to talk about giving us money. We were there this year to talk about giving us flexibility with the money we have. So if they could allow for us to be a little more flexible in those, those ARPA dollars we talked about before, and maybe flex some of those two ESUs, can be flexible in how we use E-rate money, and the F FCC did that. Can we be flexible in how we use our title money a little bit more than we are now? So trying to give them some ideas that doesn't necessarily mean they have to write a check to us, but how we can be more efficient with what we've already got. Well, and I know that there's a lot of efforts, obviously, as this conversation is represented that our ESUs are actively involved in. And so that flexibility, I'm sure, would help as we continue to step up and step into spaces where the needs are present. And I know our last talking point is certainly one of those uh, across Nebraska as we think about student mental health. And so I'll give a little space for you to report on what those conversations were like at the federal level. You know, interesting enough, and Larry answered me say this many times, you know, 10 years ago, we weren't even having a conversation about mental health in our schools. It just wasn't there. But it was it was increasingly becoming important uh, even before the pandemic. And in those early conversations, this was another one of those topics was, you know, that's really the state's responsibility. The federal government really doesn't have to get involved in in mental health. But that has changed. And I think a couple things that have helped change that is you know, navigating the pandemic. I think that put a lot of different stressors on a lot of different people. And then how to navigate the post-pandemic time. And so what we're seeing in Nebraska is we have 17 ESUs and every ESU now is running some type of school mental health program. Why is that? Because our schools are asking us to help um, and they know they can't do it alone. And so when we went back to uh, talk to the members of Congress this year, uh, it was it was a different story. It was a different feel. They were much more interested in learning about the things we're doing, the grants that we've been applying for, the work that we're actually doing within our schools uh, and providing services, and especially the impact that we're having. Because uh, you know we design these programs to help kids, but actually they're just as much help for our staff that are there. And then if we're really doing a, a good job working with our kids, it really draws in some of the families too. And so we're seeing not only impact in our schools, uh, just in the environments in our schools, but it's, we're, we're trying to help our staff and navigate everything as well. And if we're having an impact on our communities, that's great. The challenges we're seeing is, is workforce. In a lot of cases, we just don't have enough therapists because the need, the need is higher. And so we need good, high quality people to be out there working. The nice thing about it is we've been able to find some really good people to come in and work on our school district. So again, back to that impact. And some would say, well, in the, you know, I work in the Omaha metro area and we have a lot of therapists, but we have a lot of people. And so it's a challenge and sometimes in our areas to fill positions. 
but there's even a, a bigger challenge in the rural areas of Nebraska because people might have to drive 30, 60, 90 miles to the closest therapist. And that's that's a huge challenge, especially for a family uh, and, and a needy family. So having this available for our rural areas uh, to help out is uh, making a pretty good impact. We're actually running a federal grant right now that's working with our eight rural schools, uh, which just reside on the edge of the Omaha metro area. And they're still 10, 15, 20 miles out. Uh, but the impact that they're making, even in those communities, um, has been very positive so far. So I think the benefit of this is, on the national level, it's becoming a national topic now, and it's okay to talk about. It. It's not just a state issue, but bringing that home to Nebraska, we had a state senator just in our building this morning, and we talked about school mental health. And so the last time we checked, we had about 37 states across the country that were actually providing state funding to school districts or service agencies to help provide some of the cost uh, for school mental health. We do get a little bit of grant money to help with some programs, but we're continuing to work with our Nebraska state legislature to see if they can provide uh, more help and resources in that area. Because in the end, like I said, it helps kids, it helps our staff. And if we're helping families, then we're, then we're doing the best for Nebraska. Well, and for folks who are interested in learning more about that effort in the ESU3 region, uh, we did an entire podcast on that grant work. Uh, and so would certainly point folks to the details of that uh, should you want to yeah, follow up and learn more. And in addition to all that, our guests, a question that this leaves me with, uh, and maybe we start to bring this to a summation here or a close on this note. Several times over the course of our conversation, whether it be with regards to mental health or special education, there was, I heard from each of you say that there were certain things that were specifically federal responsibilities versus the responsibility of the state level. And I'm sure the nuances and factors that play into what becomes a federal issue that is now a state level or vice versa uh, is incredibly nuanced. Um, but generally speaking, and from your perspective, right, so we'll kind of keep that as the frame around this. Uh, why is that? What leads to certain conversations being more the onus of the state to address versus thinking about the feds being the ones that are coming around that and support? Well, I would say in most circumstances, when it comes to education, the federal government doesn't have a direct line to what our schools do, right? So that must go through our state level, whether it's through our Nebraska Department of Education or the Nebraska Unicameral. So that's, that's really where the difference is. What the federal government can do is they can give us resources. They can give us funding. They can give us projects. They can give us networks, connections, those kinds of things. And then they bring that down to the state level and that's where the action starts happening. That's where we can set, we can put grants into place that we can actually roll out. The legislature can allocate federally funded programming to the NDE so the NDE can roll that information out to the schools. From my perspective, that's how the, the federal government on education plays and is a part of the state level educational work. Is there anything to add, Dan? You know, I, th I think, uh, Andrew, it comes down to that uh, topic of local control. And so, you know, in the state of Nebraska, we like to give a lot of local control to our local school districts, yet the state provides that guidance. And so just adding to what Larry Ann said, which I think was a great description, 
the federal government likes to let the states have local control and they like to have the local control over education. But as issues become national level issues, then I think those topics start becoming more of a conversation. And I would agree providing funding and resources and grants and those kind of things to help programs back in the states is able to provide those on a, on a very high level and then let the states um, dissect those and use those to the specific needs that might work best. You know, Larry Ann works with 19 districts. Yep, 19 and, publics. And every, every one of those 19 districts, if you put a program in and you wanted to do the exact same program, it wouldn't look exactly the same. It's going to look different. And it's going to look different because of the uh, the difference in the school district. And then you also have your local control of how they implement things. And so that's where ESUs can come back and help navigate some of those, you know, big dollar issues that are handed down from the state or federal level. Um, so we can have some consistencies across the board and look for good efficiencies. But it's just kind of nice when you have when you kind of see some of those big issues grow up to the national level, and then they're actually taking some very serious looks at, at helping. And I think school mental health is a prime example, and I think cybersecurity is another one. Well, thanks for giving us not only that explanation, but a detailed look at a number of the things that you all were able to go and have conversations around and advocate for. I know we've kind of gone a little bit over time today, uh, but as we bring things to a close, Dan, can you speak to the, as a bit of a call to action, I know that Larry Ann alluded to this earlier, that in January, there's the opportunity to kind of create the next list. Uh, so can you maybe share with our audience what that process looks like and, and how that's going to play out? Yeah, we're already starting to get the emails that the next group is going to be towards the end of January. Um, again, they'll have a schedule out. It'll be, um, everybody is allowed to have, well, you can have as many representatives as you want, but you have have one voice per state, basically. And uh, they're already setting the stage for doing that. And, and interesting enough, um, several years ago, they used to do this in person. And you'd, you'd fly out to Washington, D.C., and everybody would get together in the same room. Uh, then the pandemic changed things. And what they found during the pandemic times is that if they do it virtually, they get about three times more in, in attendance. So they've been doing it virtually ever since. It's been working really well. And I would imagine there's going to be some of the same topics that are going to come up again, but it allows each state to share out what are things that they're seeing statewide to make those decisions. They'll do that again late January. Uh, we already have the call to action conference set for late September next year um, on those dates. Uh, we're already making arrangements to get some representatives from Nebraska to go out and be a part of that again, uh, because we just think it's of, of high value for us to have a voice. Well, thanks for uh, making that opportunity available. And last thing that I'll, I'll bring up here, uh, through the podcast, we've tried to at least make some space for continued conversations uh, on this topic, whether that be at the federal or at the state level. Uh, and so we're excited that once the legislative session in 2024 gets started here uh, in, gosh, about a month's time at this point, we are going to welcome Mike Delaney and also John Scretta on for an episode 
where once the table is sort of set, I'll just say, <laughs> we'll we'll do a little bit of a deep dive and a closer look at what we might anticipate upcoming 60-day session uh, to look like. And so, Dan, Larry, Ann, thank you so much for uh, all your work and efforts uh, going out to D.C., advocating the things you do on a regular basis, and for also spending some time with us today uh, sharing that out so we can all be a part of that conversation uh, and advocacy in our own way. So really appreciate uh, your time and efforts in those regards. Yeah, I appreciate the invitation to visit with you today. Thanks a lot. Yep. Thanks, Andrew. Always a good time. 